0: Hey, it's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. I'm sure somewhere in your life you've probably used the phrase, the only things that are certain are death and taxes, right? Well, death is definitely certain. Taxes are fluid, not necessarily in a good way. But here we go with... All kinds of issues as tax season went into full force on January 23rd. What about the debt ceiling? What about all the other things that we are being taxed to pay for or borrow against? Food for thought. So, seems an appropriate time to have a conversation with Patrick Hedger executive director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, TPA. And Patrick, let's start with the COVID-19 rollbacks. We can get into the debt ceiling and the various other hikes of which uh, there are many. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, watching it all play out, as I said, tax season for Americans began on January twenty-third. I don't count that as a good thing, by the way. It's just time to time to start dealing with that uh, interest-free loan we give to the government, which I'm not against if it's real, if it's proper. But anyway, that's my feeling on it. Uh, so, uh, before we get into the debt ceiling, what's going on uh, around COVID nineteen and its effect on taxes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people, I'm sure, realize that the emergency declaration over COVID allowed the government to do various things, but I'm not sure folks realize how much money it allowed the government to spend. And the Public Health Emergency Fund was accessed by the Department of Health and Human Services to the tune of about $354 billion over the course of the pandemic up until this point. And $354 $354 billion. listen, I know billions, trillions, all these big numbers that come out of Washington. Let me tell you, $350 billion is still a lot of money, even in Washington. Um, and so there's a bill that's moving through Congress right now, the Pandemic is Over Act, uh, which would limit, uh, terminate the 2020 emergency declaration and rescind Health and Human Services' ability to access those funds. Um, and so kind of shut off the spigot of emergency spending under the guise of COVID-19. Look, obviously, COVID is still a problem, but it's, we're learning to live with it. There's no need to have that huge spigot of money going out the door. Um, so that's something that people should be lo- on the lookout for. And I would encourage them to contact the members of Congress to support the pandemic is Over Act.
0: Yeah, and by the way, can we just call it the pandemic's over? It's endemic, as you said. We're living with it. Uh, Science. I I follow the science. What can I say? Uh, Let me bring this into play for a lot of people by the numbers here because the IRS is also ending the COVID-19 tax credits. Everybody's getting ready during tax season, right? Filings are being done. But several tax credits are going back to 2019 levels, like the child tax credit. Uh, in this case, just to go down the chart here at uh, 3600 per dependent in 2021, we'll get a credit of 2000 in 2022. Uh, for children under 17 or less, if you have no children, but you claim the EITC, uh, you get 500 back in 2022, revised from 1,500 in 2021. So, And there's lots of other numbers so without going through each one. The point being, you're about to get a little bit of a shock in what you think you're getting back and what you're really getting back.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And, and look, there's a, it's important that we don't have emergency programs and emergency spending going on forever um, because that just exacerbates the budget the terrible terrible budget situation that we're already in but i would encourage folks don't wait until april uh start talking to your tax people you know you know log on to TurboTax, go to h and r block do what you need to do uh, ahead of time and get ahead of this because the irs is still really backlogged um that's an agency that uh has got a lot of problems and the customer service has been suffering for a long time and look those those 80,000 IRS agents they've been bragging about they're not necessarily there for customer service though that's a lot of folks that are out there looking to audit people so um i would encourage folks to get a head start on their taxes as soon as possible
0: yeah it's always good to be ahead of them because uh <laughs> they will come back to you when they're ready for your money uh debt ceiling we can't talk with you without talking about the debt ceiling. Uh, the talk of whether there's a deal or not, Biden and the Biden administration says they're not going to uh, give anything. And, you know, from my perspective, David Webb asking you, uh, I, or maybe stating it, I'm concerned about the leadership for the Republicans in the House getting anything done or hedging any in any way against this constant you know cr raising the debt ceiling uh, call me cynical at this point yeah
1: look you know i've been doing this kind of work for well over a decade now and i've, I've seen this fight happen over and over again so i share your cynicism but at a certain point you know i think Today, it's a little bit different because over the last decade or so, when we've been having a lot of these recent debt ceiling fights, we've been in an era of very low interest rates. And so the government could borrow for relatively affordable costs, right, lower than raising taxes, Um, still enormous, even at 0% interest, basically, um, the cost of servicing our debt was in the hundreds of billions of dollars per year. Um, We're getting to the point now with interest rates adjusting back to their normal levels, um, that the cost of servicing our ever larger national debt north of 31 trillion now is beginning to approach the cost of the military. That's huge. That is a huge expenditure. And, and that is just eating away at the ability for the government to respond to any sort of crises, economic or otherwise, uh, down the road because they have all of these huge debt service costs. So at some point, this this process has to reverse. Like the, the the free lunch that the Keynesians were bragging about for the last decade is over. The interest rates are up, and so is the cost of servicing the debt. At some point, um, something's got to give, and and hopefully that's you know com- comes with political compromise between Democrats and Republicans, and not massive damage to the economy because of huge debt service payments.
0: Yeah, uh, debt to GDP somewhere around 122 <laughs> percent. Uh, the word unsustainable. We're in deep doo doo. I just use the common phrase <laughs> here uh, comes to mind. By the way, this didn't get much news. I'm surprised it wasn't headline news uh, that the Fed raised the uh, interest rate a you know modest, as they put it point uh 25 basis points uh they could have gone 50 which was said by many uh we, we didn't expect them to go 75 basis points but that happened yesterday and it's not as if it doesn't have an effect on the economy uh, credit card interest rates are up over four uh, percent uh on average you've got uh, affinity cards at 28 percent levels they just went up obviously because of the interest rate adjustment Uh, So why is uh, no why is no one seemingly paying attention to that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, because it's really like, you know, as I was just talking about adjusting interest rates back to historical levels, uh, you know, again, we were just came out of a decade of about zero percent interest rates, So you saw a lot of bubbles being inflated and a lot of government spending being subsidized by that. Um, It's really the story of the time right now, because it's resetting the entire economy. Um, I think certainly there needed to be some adjustment, given the inflation that we are still seeing, right? Inflation is still a problem. There's, it seems to be cooling off in some aspects. Um, but, yeah, it's. Uh, I think maybe people are just... Numb to it at this point, but I don't think there's really a good answer. I mean, perhaps there's just, you know, the good old fashioned media bias out there that doesn't want to talk about the the somewhat lackluster performance of the economy under a president that's created this much economic uncertainty, but I'm afraid I don't have a good answer for you.
0: Yeah, well, you know, if you look at it, and this is based on a few levels of analysis, you got, to your point about media bias, what about the people living with the problem? 64% of Americans, roughly 64%, are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, that that is dangerous for the economy. The term we're seeing to start, uh, we're seeing more of now, is rolling recession uh, last week, I began to try and talk more about uh, not just recession, but localized recession. Roll-in recession is their term, mine is its localized regions and areas, economies of scale. Uh, and and I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I don't see how at least half of this country doesn't realize that we're already in a recession, Yeah,
1: yeah, I I think that's probably an accurate characterization, right? It's not like the entire economy is being hit all at once. You're seeing right now like the tech sector major layoffs there. And then then it's so, yeah, you have sort of this slow rolling uh, recession where it's squashing different parts of the economy at different times. Um, But, you know, if I were a business owner, the, the, the kind of uncertainty that's out there right now is pretty paralyzing. Um, And a lot of the growth that has been attributed to this president has been attributed to, um, you know, the last, you know, any good numbers that we've seen mean, for the most part, we're still just readjusting from the craziness that the, the economic craziness of the pandemic. And so to, you know, the president likes to brag about all these jobs created. It's like, well, those jobs were jobs that were immediately shed when everything shut down. So just because the economy is readjusting back to where it's, what it was supposed to have been doesn't mean that things are all good um so it, it, it's very concerning i think there's just such a level of uncertainty out there and and we're already starting to see gas prices creep back up as well and look energy prices are the thing that undercuts or or, or builds the foundation really for for everything else everything costs something in terms of energy when the price of energy can, goes up the price of everything else will go up as well and that's a really concerning sign for the economy
0: Yeah, I mean, let's go down the list uh, together here, Patrick. Let's see, interest rates, your credit card rates go up. Uh, Mortgage rates will continue to climb. Uh, They will stay at higher rates as the housing industry, that canary in the economic coal mine. Auto loans, people are holding on to cars longer, but even for pre-owned, auto loans are more expensive and you need to, you know, most of the country doesn't ride around on the subways. You know, people need to drive. Uh, Student loans, if you want to go to college, they get higher, they get pricier. Uh, So, you know, this to that idea that, you know, we're living, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and things are getting more expensive. Uh, I guess that wasn't transitory inflation after all.
1: No, I mean, again, we're sort of starting to see persistent. I mean, we've still got a ton of money that the government allocated under the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the worst named bill ever, um, and the bipartisan infrastructure bill. I mean, there's still hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars that haven't even gone out the door yet. Um, and that, that's going to continue to drive inflationary pressure um, and until there is a, you know, one of the big problems with inflation is it's, a, it's very much so also a psychological problem. And if you continue to do things that people expect will will drive inflation or, or raise prices, they're going to begin raising their prices. Uh, in expectation of inflation. So you've kind of got this self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, So that's why, I mean, really the best thing this government could do is is do less. Um, But unfortunately, there just doesn't seem to be any appetite for that. Perhaps the fact now that we have divided government with Republican control of the House of Representatives means they won't be able to do much. But again, there's still hundreds of billions, if not trillions, that haven't gone out the door yet in terms of already funded projects from the last Congress.
0: Here's a question that I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not sure when I've ever heard this asked on an, any, any of the business shows or of any of the pundit class or the, you know, the, the call it the business pundit class. How much more money have we printed in this country in the last two years?
1: Yeah, it's significant. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but the just that the Fed's balance sheet is is. They're finally starting to offload some of it, but it's at historic levels. And then, of course, just looking at the, the debt as well. I mean, when you, when you talk about 100 percent GDP or 100 more percent, 100 percent or more GDP, we're talking about World War II levels of spending. Um, and what happened after World War II is that spending as percentage of GDP and in real terms did eventually come down. And so but the problem is, is you've got Democrats, including the president, proposing budgets at this sort of new post-pandemic baseline that is still in basically really close to pandemic level spending. Um, We didn't do that into the 1950s after World War II. Um, And that's why you're able to sort of grow yourself out of these situations. But when the government is the the main driver of growth and spending, um, that's a huge, that's an unsustainable path. Um, And and, I mean, we're sort of wading into uncharted territory here. And who knows what the next crisis is coming down the pipeline? I mean, we we don't know what's going to happen in Eastern Europe. We don't know what's going to happen in the South China Sea. um, And we're in a really bad fiscal situation to be prepared for any any sort of other major crisis that comes around the corner.
0: All right, let's uh, wrap up with uh, Patrick Hedger from uh, Taxpayer Protection Alliance uh, (laughs) with something that I think a lot of people recognize. I don't know how much so anymore, but uh the united states postal service i have nothing against the people who work they deliver our mail i get all that i say that for the purposes of people who think i just want to rip it apart but it loses money we fund it it makes stupid decisions it in the form of leadership not your mailman I, i like my mailman ben's a really nice guy we get along but ben's not making the decision to go out and buy $600,000 worth of flex-fuel vehicles for this quarter or whatever else they spend on, and yet they keep losing money and not revising process enough to be effective and efficient, and yet they're going to raise stamp prices again.
1: Yeah, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head on um, the Postal Service sort of tries to take the easy way out, um, even though there are some fairly easy things that they could do uh, to get their fiscal house in order. And we're talking about cumulative losses uh, to taxpayers of over $100 billion at this point uh, in recent years. And again, in Washington, $100 billion is still real money. Um, and, and, and there are things that the Post Postmaster General's Office and the Inspector General's Office at the Post Office has suggested they do. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of post offices in this country that are within five miles of another post office that aren't profitable. Um, and so, look, folks can drive an extra mile to make sure that taxpayers aren't taking huge losses. Um, they're not really doing a good job at, at uh, reducing redundancy. But. Um, And what we're actually seeing is the post office raising prices and also reducing service to try and compensate for their costs instead of really getting at the root of the problem, which is those kind of redundancies uh, in in, and also not charging uh, appropriate rates for packages as well. Um, so there are a lot of things that, put, again, the Inspector General's office and uh, our organization have evaluated and seen that the Post Office could do. Instead, uh, they're sort of just taking the easy way out and saying, well, who's going to notice a couple cents increase on a stamp? Well, businesses that rely on mail, <laughs> you know, when you talk about a couple cents on what was a 60 cent stamp, um, you're talking several percentage point increases in their overall costs. Um, so that's a huge, that has a huge impact on a lot of businesses, a lot of e-commerce. Um, and, uh, it, it's super problematic and it's just em- emblematic of sort of the broader problem we have with, with these, uh, federal agents, quasi-federal agencies that are so dependent on tax dollars, Amtrak, the post office, you name it, uh, just endemic waste, fraud and abuse and, and, and not serving taxpayers'
0: interests. Patrick Hedger, uh, Taxpayer Protection Alliance, Executive Director, ProtectingTaxpayers.org. Easy to remember that website. And good for you to go there and learn more about what they're doing or what they're not uh, doing. Patrick, thank you. Thanks, Brad. You, you can join me live on the David Webb show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.